Are you a busy woman who at times struggles with reducing your daily stress? Do you know that you need to slow down but do not know how? If you're looking at reducing your daily stress, you're in the right place. My name is Denise Eckert and I welcome you to the Calm Your Daily Stress podcast. I just love interviewing guests so they can share their stress-reducing tips and techniques with you. Now, if you find this podcast helpful, please share it with someone who struggles with stress because lowering our stress will make us a better person, a happier partner, mom, friend, neighbor, etc. And the best part is happiness is contagious. Enjoy this episode. Hi there, my name is Denise Eckert and I'm the host of the Relaxation Lounge. And I love bringing guests on here to share their tips and their practices and their ideas to help lower the stress in your life. And today I have Dr. Dara. Now with over 15 years of experience, She's a leading expert for adults with ADHD. Now, as a doctor who's experienced the disruption of ADHD, she's wholeheartedly committed to providing personalized and high-quality psychiatric evaluations and treatments. And she hopes to support others on their journey towards greater productivity and joy by sharing her story, her late ADHD diagnosis and difficulties. So welcome, Dr. Dara. Hello. Thank you so much, Denise, for having me. Now, I've come across a couple of people in my in the last little while who have just been diagnosed with ADHD, ADHD, and now that they've been diagnosed and taken care of, their lives have changed so much. And I would love to hear your journey and what, you know, got you going on this. Yeah, sure. So, so to start off with, I think it's a very difficult diagnosis to make for many reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is that there's such a different presentation for everyone. Everyone has such a unique array of symptoms that it can manifest so differently in everyone. And so whether or not the term is ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, but there's three types. There's the attention deficit hyperactivity disorder inattentive type, then there's the hyperactive impulsive, and then there's the combined type. And so it used to be that there was separation more in terms of the diagnosis, but these days it's all in one. So for me, I think I always had known I struggled with some sort of, you know, listening disorder. I would always, you know, be in school and not really listening carefully for multiple reasons. Maybe I was chatting with friends or I just couldn't keep up with what the teacher professor was saying, but I never, I really just chalked it up to being chatty. Um, But I would go home and I would spend extra time just doing so much behind the scene work. And that's what usually happens. But I, and I was smart enough and I, and I also had comorbid additional anxiety. So those two things, you know, having, you know, being motivated, highly, you know, higher intelligence level and also anxiety actually can help mask the underlying issue, which is the attention deficit disorder. Since you're really born that way, it's not something that you acquire later in life. You, What happens is the symptoms may not manifest until later in life. But for me, I think I was, you know, I was having a lot of anxiety. I decided to go on to, I wanted to be, to get a either my PsyD, I knew I wanted to go into the field of psychology or medical school. So I chose, of course, the path of medical school. And I had a lot of test anxiety. And now I know why. Basically, it was that, you know, a test is just like the most 
impairing situation for someone with executive dysfunctions, which is what, you know, what ADHD adults look like. And that's just the part of your brain in the front where you have to organize and, you know, um, organize, plan, self-regulate. And also there's something called working memory, which is just like a for part of the short-term memory, which is what where we hold information to do other things. So in a test, you have to hold all of that information in your head and then you have to use it on the test, especially if it's something like an essay, you know, sometimes a little bit easier, multiple choice. So I knew I had test anxiety and I had seen, you know, someone in terms of a clinician, I first seen someone just to manage my anxiety, a therapist, and then I had seen a psychiatrist at the time who had mentioned, and this was probably when I was in my mid-20s, early 20s, had mentioned the idea of ADHD. And at the time, I just kind of dismissed it. I really didn't know much about it. It was not something that was on my radar. But then, you know, fast forward, you know, eight to 10 years, after medical school and during medical school, I definitely struggled. I struggled. It was a different level of um, exertion that I had to put in for my studies. And so at that point, there were many times when I felt like giving up. I felt like giving up on medical school. I definitely had some, you know, secondary, what we call dysthymia, like a low grade level of depression since I just really felt not good enough. And that's how most adults with undiagnosed ADHD felt. And so it wasn't until I was probably a, during my psychiatry residency that I finally accepted that maybe this was true. Maybe I really did have inattentive type ADHD. I think everyone has multiple symptoms. I have definitely some of the hyperactive impulsive, but more likely it's the inattentive symptoms that have been most impairing for me. And so that's kind of how I became so passionate about treating other adults with ADHD since I don't think, you know, most people know, but 80% of adults out there are walking around not knowing that they have ADHD. Now you talk about the symptoms. Can you go into the symptoms a little bit sure. for the audience? Sure. So there's, so in children and at children and adolescents, or mostly children, you're going to see more of the core symptoms of ADHD, which are inattentive, and that includes inattentive includes issues with focus, as and so that could be inattentive focus, so can't pay attention, or hyper focus. So when people say they get in the flow, that can be a hyper focus. And then there's also issues with the inattentive symptoms of forgetfulness, so kind of you know leaving your keys somewhere and not knowing where you place them. And that's all part of inattentiveness since you're not mindful. You know, you're, you're going too quickly. And then you also have distractly, easily distracted. Motivation's also another inattentive symptom that most people are not aware of. So there's inconsistent motivation. Some days you feel like conquering the world. Other days you just feel like burnout and can't do much of anything. And then we have the, and in, so for children, there's not as much of those. We notice more of the hyperactive impulsive symptoms. And so usually that textbook type of child, little boy who really just can't sit still, hyperactive, very disruptive in class, as well as impulsive. In adults, you also can have the hyperactive impulsive symptoms, but it's a little more, it's a little more subtle and it's harder to detect. So those folks who have trouble waiting their turn, who are interrupting easily, who are impulsively maybe blurting out 
inappropriate things, no filter. You'll you'll hear that. Also, um, emotional dysregulation. A lot of times, adult ADHD especially can be misdiagnosed or you know only diagnosed as a mood disorder due to this emotional dysregulation. So ultimately, I think you know ADHD is a bad name. It's not a great name for it. It really is a disorder of regulation, of self-regulation, of attention, of focus, of activity level, and of emotions. Now, as a psychiatrist, what are the steps you take to properly diagnose someone? So usually patients come to me knowing that they have some sort of impairment, they have been struggling, they either their therapist or maybe their family member has noticed that there's been an impairment in their overall functioning, maybe at work, school, relationships. And those are the ones that are, you know, a little bit easier to manage, just maybe not as exciting for me, since I love when someone comes in with something other, some other complaint, and I have them figured out maybe on the first email, you know, and there's this underlying undiagnosed ADHD. But basically, it's a clinical diagnosis. So it really the diagnosis can be made just by a thorough evaluation. And when I say thorough evaluation, it's really, you know, a 90 minute up to usually for me, two hours of meeting with the individual and really getting to know them and all the way back to their, you know, childhood, their development, their schooling, educational history. You know, there's definitely some, there's definitely some things that are pathognomonic for ADHD, such as, you know, multiple schools attended, always having that idea, that feeling of not being good enough, of not meeting their potential, report cards for, you know, especially little girls where they're, you know, they're a great student, but they were just always chatty. Um, That was definitely me. But it wasn't picked up back then. You know, I'm definitely old enough that it was not a diagnosis that was that common unless you were really impaired in some way where you, you know, couldn't really get good grades or function well. The other thing is a lot of people rely, especially children, and there's more reason for it, rely on the neuropsychological testing. And that really is not necessary, especially in adults. It's it's really, it's not to diagnose ADHD, this battery of psych, psychological tests. It's actually to rule out any underlying learning disorders, such as dyslexia, trouble with you know, learning how to read or other types of learning disorders, as well as possibly maybe some pervasive developmental disorders such as, you know, autistic spectrum disorder. So ultimately, you know, I think that is definitely a barrier for many since that can cost up to, you know, to $2,000 to $3,000 to do a type of test like that and get a diagnosis. Whereas someone like myself can accurately diagnose and prescribe you know, in a reasonable fashion. Great. Now, just listening to you, it's like, I mean, I can almost self-diagnose myself because it's just something I've lived with all my life, but I've recognized it and, you know, creating that awareness helps me. And so what kind of treatments can you recommend once once you have diagnosed a client? Yeah. So it really depends on where they are in their, you know, timeline of their life in terms of do they are do they have additional stress, stressors coming up are they have they have their compensatory strategies which i'm sure you've had 
all along, have they been working? Are they working well? Are they are things kind of falling through the cracks at this point? Maybe they used to have structure. They used to go to a office environment. They would have mom, dad who had kept everything in order for them. They had a spouse that maybe, you know, had everything really organized and maybe there was a loss of that spouse or whatever, or divorce. So whatever the case may be. So if it starts to impair at least your functioning in two areas, whether it's work, school, home, you know, social, interpersonal, relational, then you really want to think about treatment. And the first line treatment for everyone, anyone older, I don't want to misquote myself, but older than six, seven, really the first line treatment is medication. The medication that is first line is stimulants. And so that those meds, there's two big class of meds. Those are the amphetamine, which is the Adderall, Vyvanse, Dexedrine. And then there's the methylphenidate class, which is the Ritalin, Concerta, and Focalin and a few others. And really every drug that is considered a stimulant for ADHD is in one of those two classes. We usually use the amphetamine class for adults and reserve the methylphenidate for children and adolescents, but that's just anecdotal. And there's been no, no proven evidence that one works better than others. So it really is trial and error. Now, what are some of the side effects from these drugs? So I think the biggest side effects are that hyperstimulation for some, especially the inattentive folks. So what I, we call it is the Starbucks syndrome. So it can feel like you had 10 cups of, you know, 10 cappuccinos. And so you can feel really wound up. You can have insomnia, decreased appetite, increased heart rate, increased uh, sweating, uh, feeling more anxious, but all of those side effects subside. And so the biggest thing that happens and that not many folks and practitioners are aware of is we just have to start really low. And so, you know, if we start low and almost a sub-therapeutic, meaning not a level where they're going to feel much effect, their body acclimates and everyone's acclimation process is just different. And so some folks I have, you know, them feeling no more, they don't feel side effects after a couple of days a week. Others take a couple months. There's some folks who really tell me, you know what, I finally have my appetite back and it's been three years. That is actually the last side effect to go away. Overall though, I, there's definitely ways to manage. I don't always just rely on medications. You know, there's an old saying, pills don't build skills. And so I'm a real believer of real, like figuring out skills and strategies to work. You know, all the motivation, all the focus that I can give someone, it's not going to make them choose to focus on that you know, that report they have due as opposed to, you know, hyper-focusing on a great novel they're reading. So the, you know, the executive dysfunctions, and that's what I talked about before that presents mostly in adults, those are not as well treated with ADHD meds like stimulants. It's really the core symptoms that we're treating. So if someone comes in my office, and that's another, if someone comes in my office and says, you know, I, I feel like I can focus because I've been using this, like my ability to um, wait for deadlines, which is what most people do. They rely on that sense of urgency. And, but I can't seem to get organized. I can't seem to plan, prioritize. That's when, yes, the medicines may be prescribed, but more importantly is meeting with some sort of um, ADHD-focused therapist or coach to really work on those skills. Now, what is the connection between an undiagnosed um, ADHD and anxiety and chronic stress? 
So, yeah, that's a great question. So there, you know, undiagnosed ADHD definitely is comorbid with anxiety, meaning they go hand in hand, that both, you know, they're both there. There's many times when the anxiety that someone experiences can be fully treated by treating the ADHD. That's more rare. Usually they're both there in some way, shape or form. And so what happens with, with stress, it's, you know, an immediate reaction to a stressful situation. And so your system reacts in a way where your fight or flight system is activated. Your autonomic system is, you know, kind of ready to take on that stressor. And then it goes back to baseline. But someone who had develops, who has periods of chronic stress, meaning they never go back to baseline, that can develop over time into basically anxiety, an anxiety disorder, since their level of alertness and fear is chronic. And this usually happens in many folks who have trouble with regulating their time, regulating their their ability to prioritize, to plan. And so that's why folks with undiagnosed ADHD can always feel so overwhelmed. There's not enough time, but I don't have time. Um, how am I going to do that all? And then whenever I ask someone, and I think the most important thing is differentiating, yes, between stress and then a mental illness like anxiety or ADHD, but also between anxiety and ADHD. So, you know, whenever I ask someone what's going on, well, I'm just so anxious. And when I really ask them to describe the anxiety, a lot of times it's not anxiety. They say, I'm overwhelmed. There's not enough time in the day. And I'm, you know, and I'm like, well, what about the impending doom? What about the the fear, the irrational fear? Uh, you know, that's what I think of when I think of anxiety. And they're like, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't have any fear. I don't have any impending doom. And so that really brings up a, you know, a lovely conversation. Yeah. So we're going to be wrapping this up. Now, what tips do you have for women entrepreneurs managing stress and when they should actually go out and seek professional help? So I, you know, I think it's really important to note that the research has shown that entrepreneurs, women especially, have a higher likelihood of, you know, having stressful jobs and having issues with the work-life balance, you know, especially during the pandemic. And so, you know, and what I would suggest is that if you feel like that you're, it's all about functionality, like you're no longer able to function the way that you would like to, or some, or something that comes at a cost, meaning you have everything in order at work, but then your family life or relationship is falling apart. That's probably the time to talk to someone, even if it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to start medications, but for an evaluation to figure out what's going on. Sometimes just a diagnosis can help normalize things. Wow. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Amazing information. So Dr. Dara, all her information, contact information will be where you're watching or listening to this. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out and ask your questions. Well, thank you so much for this amazing information. And I really hope, you know, this opens some eyes out there because a lot of times we don't discuss this topic. Of course. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Well, thank you for listening and and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Calm Your Daily Stress Podcast. Have you ever wondered what your stress personality is? Are you a self-care goddess or a burnout queen? Well, you can find out by taking my free quiz. You just need to go to www.com. 
www.stressquiz.info to find out where you rank. Sending you love and peace, and I'll see you in the next episode.